Hey, good morning. Who needs, who needs uh, some good air conditioning? Put your hand up. Oh, my gosh. Where do we live? South Mississippi, this is what we get. Hey, I am going to, um, we're going to jump right into God's Word today. If you're new to us here at Hope Church, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, you can follow along on the screen. So if you have a Bible in your lap or a Bible on your phone, that, that's a great way to, to do it. But I want to ask this question that I think a lot of us ask sometimes of God. And we're going to just jump right in. We're going to look at a story in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. But here's the question. Who in here, just being honest, you've ever asked God this? God, what are you doing? Who's ever asked that, right? God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I'm mad at it. I'm, I mean, we, the, the list could be long of those things. God, what are you doing? Where are you at? Why don't I feel you? Why are you allowing these things to come into my life? We're going to look at this story, hopefully from uh, Exodus chapter 14, that will give us some clarity on that, and maybe we'll, we'll make some difference in the way that we look at things and the questions we ask of not only of God, but of ourselves. And so, uh, really, we're going to jump right into it, Exodus 14, starting in verse 1. We've been in this series, Summer at Hope, and we've just been answering questions all throughout the summer from Old Testament, New Testament, some familiar stories, and, and then some different passages that we don't always talk about. Exodus 14, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. So this is what's happening. The nation of Israel has been in slavery, but God delivers them. And they're now leaving Egypt to the promised land, and they find themselves in a real weird situation. He's, God says this, order the Israelites to turn back and camp at Pi-Hirahoth. And he goes on and he, he, gives, he gives this instruction and says, between Migdal and the sea, camp there along the shore across from Baal-Zephon. Now, let me just hit pause, and I want to give you just some real practical advice. If you're ever in a small group, you're ever um, reading a passage of Scripture in front of others, and you see a name like those two names that we just saw there in that Scripture, just say them really fast, and people will think you know how to pronounce them. So that's just, that's just a little, just, that's, a, that's a pastor trick. Anyway, verse 3, it says this, Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. Now, on the surface, this advice from God looks, it looks crazy. It doesn't make sense militarily. They've just left, and Egypt is, the, is a superpower in the world at this time. It, it doesn't make sense in so many ways. He's basically told them, I want you to camp in this valley between this town and the Red Sea. Just stay there. Don't worry about the Egyptians. Don't worry about it. I want you just to stay there. And I know the people are thinking, God, you've just rescued us from slavery, from having to, to build things and to do things for the Egyptians. Hundreds of years of slavery. And now you put us here and you tell us to stop? God, what are you doing? Why are you up to this? And it goes on in verse, the second part of verse 4, and here's what it says. I have planned this in order to display Say those two words with me. My glory. Let's say it again. My glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. And after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. It's a strange situation. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. 
And if you look at it from the Israelites' point of view, God, why are we stopping here? We, we've got we've to maneuver around. We've got to get through the Red Sea or we've got to go a different direction. We just can't stop and camp. But God told them to do that because he wanted to declare his glory. Now, you read glory in the Bible, and it's like, what is God's glory? What does that mean? And you, you get instances of Moses asking to see God's glory. You see glory represented all throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a definition uh, of what God's glory is according to Scripture. Glory is the sum, total, and full weight of who God is. Now, I, I don't know that as human beings we can totally unpack that. We can totally understand that. that that's a really tough thing to, to get all of who God is, the weight of who he is, and how he, his character and what he does in our lives. So let me just give you just an example of maybe what that might be in, in describing his glory. He's beautiful, and he's great, and he's good, and he's strong, and he's kind, and he's loving, and he's just, and gracious, and satisfying, and infinite. And you could go on and on and on. It's the full weight of who God is. And so I want to talk for a few minutes for those of us that have ever asked, God, why, why, what, what's happening here? Why are you letting this happen? Why has this entered my life? Why is this going on? For those of us that have asked that, and most of us in this room raised our hand and said, I've asked that before multiple times. I think there's something for us to learn as we continue to journey in our faith journey with the Lord. And so a couple things I want to share with you, and then we're going to look at, well, what do we do about it? So the first one is this. God's goal is his glory. His number one goal for your life, for my life, for the world, for the heavens, is that all of it would bring glory to him. Let's look at a couple passages. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It's I who created them. So you, when God designed man and woman, we're going to look at the scripture here in a minute in Genesis. In the creation story, when he designs Adam and Eve, it's for his glory. When he creates the heavens, the stars, all the things we see in the sky, all the majesty of the mountains and the sea and the land and all that we can with our human eyes can see it's for his glory. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And this is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and, uh, in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them. So we see God's goal is, is his glory of, of who he is being known by human beings. And really, if you want to go from the book of Genesis to Revelation, it's God's desire for us to understand who he is and to embrace his glory and to give him glory. It's what we do with worship. We're honoring him. We're praising him. We're lifting him up. But it's consistent. So it's consistent with what we see in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Well, practically, what does that mean for you? That means if you're building a house, you do it for his glory. If you're leading your family, you do it for his glory. If you're teaching a classroom full of kids, you do it for his glory. You're having a conversation with your neighbor. You do it for his. All that we do, we do for the glory of God, for him to be made known, for him to be famous, for him to be lifted up. 
I was with um, the pastor that I did my internship with many years ago. I don't even like to go back and count how many because it's so long ago. And we were riding in his car. Now, I've admitted freely that when I'm on the road, sometimes um, my frustration with other drivers, because everyone's a horrible driver but me. Did you know that? Do you feel the same way? I mean, listen, no one can drive but me. I mean, they, they, they're, I guess we can say this in church, they're idiots, they're, 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 they just can't drive. And so we get frustrated. I get frustrated on the road sometimes. God's working on that in my life. I, but I was with this pastor. He was a senior pastor. I was interning, and we were going down the road. And he was, he's fr- he was from Southern California, but we're at this church. So he grew up on the West Coast. He liked to surf, just all the traditional things you think of when you think West Coast. And, but he, we were in North Carolina, right on the border of North Carolina and Virginia, where his church was. And so we are weaving in and out of traffic. And I'm in the front seat of his car. I'm going, Pastor Ted, me, me, you, you drive fast. And, and we're like, and, we're, and I'm, I'm thankful that like the church name is not on his car. We're not in the church van or the church bus. And, and literally, we're just weaving in. I'm thinking, I've driven with some of my friends that are teenagers that drive better than this. That's, what, that's what's going on in my head. And, and he looked over at me and he smiled. And he said, bro, I'm just trying to do this for the glory of God. You know, that's what Corinthians says. And, I, and I'm like, man. <laughs> I had a lot of respect for Pastor Ted in that moment. Anyway, um. For God's glory, and we don't, we don't think of it that way, because what are we encouraged by our world and society to do? We're encouraged to point to ourselves. And if I look good, if I'm lifted up, if I get the promotion, if I make lots of money, if I'm the mom of the year, I mean, we just, we go down the list of things. We're, we're encouraged to point to ourselves, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok, or Facebook, or social media, or in our neighborhoods, or where. It's all about us. What can we do? What can we grab hold of? What we, can we gain? And God's saying, no, 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 no. If you follow me, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to point to my glory. I want you to lift me up. I want you to do it. Yes, you want to provide for your family. Yes, you want to do these things. But I want you to do everything that you do. He said, whatever you eat. So when you're eating that rare steak at lunch today, um, or however you like your steak. Whatever we do, we eat, we drink, we work, we play, we have fun, we laugh. Sometimes we cry. We do it all for the glory of God. But it's so countercultural to what we hear in the world because it's all about my thing and my agenda and my goals and my purpose. And it's not just humans that declare God's glory. In fact, Psalm 19.1 says it this way. It says, the heavens Proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. One of my favorite things to do, um, and I don't do it enough, and maybe because it's 88 degrees at midnight around here, um, is to go out at nighttime when the sky is clear and to look up and see the stars. When, it's, when you don't have a lot of artificial light and you can just really look. And it's amazing to look at what God's created. He did that for our benefit, for his glory. So that he could be made known, so that, so that people could look and go, wow, this didn't just happen by chance. It's because of a, a God in heaven for his glory. So his goal is always his, his glory. But number two is this, and I, I just mentioned it, our goal is often our glory. We want to get the credit. We want to get the glory. We want to get the attaboys or good job girl or whatever the case may be. We want that. And listen, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when our motivation is for us and not for his glory, wow, things can become out of whack. 
in our relationships, in, in how we manage our time, in what we find ourselves doing, in our appreciation of others. Our goal is often our glory, and we know that that gets us in trouble because what does Romans 3.23 say? It says, for everyone has sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glory or God's glorious standard. We, we can't line up to that standard. It, it's not in our human ability to do that. It, it, it's for the glory of God. Everything that you do, the project that you're working on right now at work, you think it's for your boss or you think it's to better uh, encourage your shareholders or you think it's for your employee. it might be for them, but ultimately if you're a follower of Jesus, it's for his glory. It's to give him, to give him honor and, and worth and, and just to, to proclaim him, to make him famous, if you will. Genesis 11.4, there's this incredible story um, that always makes me kind of laugh. And it's early on in the Bible. And it, I don't know that I've ever preached a message on this story, but it, these, these, the group of people came together and they said, you know what? We want to become famous. We want to become known. And so let's build this skyscraper. Let's build this tower of Babel and let's build it to the sky and make it huge so that we can be famous and we can be made known throughout the world. They'll know who did this. In fact, it says it this way in Genesis 11:4. It says, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. It's called New York. And this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. We know how to make a name for ourselves. Sometimes we're just wired to make a name for ourselves. I mean, God wants us to shift that focus and go, you know, all that you do, whether you're doing it in your home, whether you're doing it at the job, whether you're doing it with your family or with neighbors or with friends, would you just do everything that you do for the glory of God, to lift me up? And we're going to get to a question at the end that I'm going to pose that maybe we begin to ask a little bit more. Let me take you to one more passage in, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. This is a long passage. I just want to read two verses from it, starting in verse 20. This is, what, this is what it says. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. Well, what are those invisible qualities? His eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and they began to think up foolish ideas, whoever gets those in their head sometimes, I do, of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. So God does everything for his glory. It's for his glory. Oftentimes our lives, are, we, we try to do it for our glory, for our benefit, so that we can feel better about ourselves or be made known. The third thing is this, our ultimate happiness and purpose is found in the glory of God. We're going to get back into the story in a minute, but later on in the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, um, the Lord replies to Moses in this way. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence or show me your glory. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, so all who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Have you ever thought of it this way? What you do with your boss has the potential to reflect God's glory. How you treat your spouse has the opportunity to reflect the glory of God. How you raise your kids, how you love on your grandkids, what you do on vacation 
Everything that we do has the potential to shine the light on who God is and what he's done. His glory, the full weight of who he is. They can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. I was going through some old notebooks this week um, for some sermon prep for the next series that we're going to do um, starting at the end of August into early September. We're going to do a, a study, a whole series on the Beatitudes. If you don't know what those are, you can find those in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to break them down one by one and talk with them and hopefully make them incredibly applicable to our lives. But I was flipping through some notebooks just to look to see if I had some notes on some things uh, that I thought were in there. And uh, I came across um, some notes that I had jot down about heaven. And I, I don't know about you, some of us think about heaven all the time. I think it's a good reminder that this is not our home. Heaven is, is our home. It's what we were created for. You were created to be in God's presence for eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. And the only way that happens isn't by showing up at church. It's by, it's by making a decision to follow Jesus. But I, I was looking at this notebook and reading some things about heaven, and I had just jotted down some notes about what heaven's going to be like. And I don't know what comes in your mind when you think about heaven. I know some of us immediately go to, I have loved ones that I've lost that I can't wait to see. And you know what? That's awesome. That is a part of heaven. We're going to see people that maybe we lost five years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years, whatever the case. But people that we love and that we cherish that we're going to get to see again. And that's amazing. The older I get, I think about this benefit of heaven. And maybe you're there with me today. Um, the older I get, the, the better it sounds that I'll have a perfect body. Who would agree with me on that, right? Because sometimes my body aches and it creaks and it makes noise. I'm not sure what, what, what that is, you know, what's that thing in my elbow that's making that noise. We're going to have perfect bodies. We're going to be healed. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more torn ACLs, no more sprained ankles, no more dislocated fingers, no more cancer, no more heart disease. We're going to have to deal with any of that in our perfect heavenly bodies. And I think about that, and that's amazing. I think about the loved ones we're going to get to see, and that's amazing. But you know what really makes heaven heaven? Let me read it to you from Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. And uh, I, I've read this before, but for some reason, just looking at those notes and thinking about today, this really hit home for me. It says this, I saw no this is a vision that God gave the Apostle John of what heaven was, and he recorded it in the book of Revelation. I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So there's no church building. There's no synagogue. There's no temple. The Lord and, and, and the Lamb talked about there is Jesus are its temple. Verse 23. And this is what really threw me. And the city has no need of sun or moon. For the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. Our ultimate happiness our ultimate benefit is when we line our lives up to do all that we can to proclaim the glory of God. The fourth thing and the last thing that I, that I want to just talk about this morning is, is this. The greatest good and the most loving thing that God can do is to be about his glory. Psalm 1611 says this. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you Forever, The greatest good and the, the, the most loving thing that God can do is to be about his glory. Can I tell you when I'm having a tough day, it's hard to remember that? Because I want God to fix my situation. I want God to fix my circumstances. I want God to fix my relationship or the problem that I have. It's hard to remember that. 
So let's go back to the story that we started off with from Exodus 14. And let's see what unfolds here, because I think there's something that we can learn. Starting in verse 5, it says, When the word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. Because their, their mind was made up. They said, get these people out of here. Let them go. We're done with them. We're tired of them. We're tired of the plagues. We're tired of dealing with their God. Let them go. But they changed their mind. What have we done letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fist raised in defiance. So they were like, we're out of here, Pharaoh. We're tired of you. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses, chariots, charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore. Who told them to stop there? Man, God. God said, camp right here. I've got a nice Airbnb for you right on the coast, right? You know, you can just, just you can hang out and you can be here and you can love it. God told them to stay there and it didn't make sense. And they were going, God, what are you doing? Why, why are you telling us to stop here? Oh, it was for his glory. It goes on in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up in panic when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And how many times do we do that in life? Because so many times we're about our protection and our safety and our comfort and what's best for us. And, and those things aren't bad or wrong. Don't hear, mishear me this morning. But so many times we're just about, we want to be comfortable and we don't want to, we, we, we just, we want, we want to be just pampered. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness, they asked. Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. God, what are you doing? I don't get it. Moses comes along in verse 13 and it says this, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. You know, sometimes when we pray for something, God wants us to act on it. You know that? I mean, sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray. God, I, I pray that you would bring my brother Bob to know you more, to turn his life over to you. And, and God's like, thank you for praying. Would you just share Jesus with him? Right? Sometimes he's waiting for us to act. But here, it says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. And sometimes God just calls us to be still and watch him do what he wants to. To watch him show up in ways that, that, that show him, where God just kind of shows off. His glory is evident. His glory is made known. He said, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Is anyone here just wired to be a fighter? You're a fighter. Maybe not with fists, but with words. You don't, you don't sit still. You don't stand still. You don't take any issues from you just you, you are You're just kind of a wired fighter. I've known people like that. Some of you are like that. No matter how good you fight, 
no matter how, how, how talented you are. And I didn't get in a lot of fights in school. Uh, I, I tried to stay in the background and not get into those things. I, I, I remember doing a little Golden Gloves boxing. What's what we called it? I wasn't in Golden Gloves program. Uh, within, in my parents' basement with boxing gloves with my Italian neighborhood friends, and we boxed. But some of you are fighters, but can I tell you this? It's always better to have God fighting on your side. And he just said, listen, stand still and watch God fight for you today. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear that because you've been fighting a battle all on your own. You feel like you've been, you've, been, you've been hitting it hard and you just don't have any more energy and strength. And God's just like, would you just be still? Would you just stand still and watch me show up? Because everything that he does in our lives is for his glory. Can I tell you, when the circumstances hit, it doesn't look like it. When we get bad news from the doctor, it doesn't feel like it. When our kids are having problems in second grade and they're not learning what they need to or there's behavioral issues and you think, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How are we going to, this teacher doesn't understand or, or yeah. God's still at work. And he's doing things for his glory, for his honor, for his benefit. The point of scripture, the point of life, the point of the universe is to bring glory to God. So with all of what we talked about in the last 20 or 25 minutes, I, I want to just give us three responses that we can maybe respond with today uh, in, in the last few minutes together. The first one is this. Three responses to, to all of this. You have three choices. The first one is we can resist to live for God's glory and we can settle for less. Now, in the moment, it may not feel like that because we're being successful, we're accomplishing some things, but can I tell you, your life will always have more fulfillment and always have more happiness when you are living and doing all that you can for God's glory. Do we get it right all the time? No. Do we always hit the bullseye? No. But when that's our heart, when that's our desire, when that's how we want to go, man, we, we can do that, but we have a choice. We can just resist and say, you know, God, uh, I appreciate you sending Jesus for me, um, but I'm going to kind of do things on my own, and I'll bring Jesus kind of along with me. We can resist, and we can settle for less, because I promise you, we're going to have some time in our life when we're like, God, what are you doing? Because I don't see you in the midst of all this. The second thing is, is this. The second response would be, we can reject our understanding and practice relentless trust. Can I just be really just authentic with you today? Sometimes I have a really hard time trusting God. I don't, maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, I'm all in. God, I always trust you in every arena or area of my life. But I have a feeling that there's some of us here today that we, we struggle to trust God in some areas. And, and I, I put myself on that list. And sometimes it's just hard to trust because my understanding says something different than what I'm seeing. And God's like, Kevin, just, would, you just, would you just be quiet? <laughs> I think that's one of his favorite things to say to me is, Kevin, be quiet. Um, I, I'm learning that. He's like, just stop talking. That's one thing God and Crystal are alike. Sometimes they both just want to say to me, Kevin, quit talking. Stop. I know that's hard for you to imagine. But anyway, um, reject our own understanding and practice relentless trust. Let me, let me read you a, a Favorite verse of my wife since I just referenced her. It's Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. 
It says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will. And here's the, 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 the big deal. Because I seek his will in some ways. But man, seek his will in all that you do. Let's say that together. In all that you do. When we do that, when we're seeking his will in everything, we're living for the glory of God. And, and, and then it says, he will show you which path to take. And I've taken some wrong paths in my day, and I have a feeling that some of us in here have, have as well. Proverbs 25.2 says this. And I, it says, it is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. Meaning, there's just some things in our life that we're not going to fully ever understand, this side of heaven. Who in here has like a top ten question list for God when you get to heaven? Does anyone have any of those, right? God, why did this happen? What was this all about? Why did you let this come up? We all probably do. Some bigger things than others. It's, but Proverbs just says it's God's privilege to hide some things from us. And to not, to not reveal those things. So we can reflect or reject our understanding and trust and have this relentless trust. We can resist and settle for less. The third thing I want to just share in the last five minutes is this. And it's a question that I want to just maybe put out to you that you might want to ask yourself this week, this month, in the coming days, maybe today. But I want us to see it in the scripture before I reveal what the question is. I want to take you to John chapter 12. And this is, this is Jesus wrestling with the decision to go to the cross. I mean, that's what his whole life pointed towards, for him to make a way for us to have a relationship with God so that our sins could be, be paid penalty for. John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, it says this. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. Could I just submit to you that in your life, if you're trying to follow Jesus and live for him and please him and be all that you can for him, that God has used your life to bring glory to his name, and he wants to do it over and over and over again. But we have to position ourselves in a way to do that in a way to receive that, in a way to allow him to do that in the way that he wants to. One more scripture. Um, the Apostle Paul takes this ministry of Jesus and who he was and kind of compares it and contrasts. Who in here remembers an English class in school when you would have to write something? And compare and contrast these two stories. Who loved those assignments? No hands are going up anywhere. I, I'm just going to hit pause in the message. i got to say something because um, it popped in my head. That usually gets me in trouble, but we're going to go with it today. Um, I remember being in school, and I loved taking tests because I could memorize, and I could, I, 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 te I, tests were easy for me. Now, I didn't always do my best, but my kids, close your ears. Anyway, um, but, but I, tests weren't hard. But what I hated more than anything in high school and in college was papers. I hated writing papers. I, I just, I didn't enjoy it. There wasn't anything fun about it. And I remember, I remember leaving um, college when I graduated thinking, the last papers are done. I'm never going to have to do this again. I'm so glad. I'm not going to have these compare and contrast things. 
And then I realized, oh, no, I'm a pastor. I'm going to have to do a paper like every week and stand up on a Sunday and, like, verbalize it. This stinks. <laughs> it, it isn't that bad anymore. But Paul takes the ministry of Jesus and compares it to the ministry of Moses. And I want to read this, these two verses, and then I'm going to reveal the question, and then we're going to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This is what it says. It says, the old way, and that's talking about the law, the law, the law of Moses, the, the law that, that God gave to the Israelites of how they were supposed to live as his children. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory. And you remember that story in the Old Testament? God gives Moses the Ten Commandments up on Mount Sinai. Moses comes down and the people look at his face, and he's still reflecting some of the glory of God, and his face shone so brightly, they're like, oh, no, we, we can't stand it. That's what this is referencing. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. And then it says this, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, talking about the way of Jesus, Jesus paying the penalty for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. So all the, all the things that God did before in the old way, we have this new way come, this, this Jesus thing comes into our life. Shouldn't the glory be far greater because of what Jesus has done? And here's the question, here in the response, we can we can just resist and, and, and not live to our full potential. We can reject our own understanding and relentlessly trust God, and I think he wants us to do that. And if we do that, this is a question I think we need to ask, and it's the last question I want to leave with you today. As you make decisions in your life, as you think about this week, as you think about your schedule, as you think about what's upcoming, as you think about vacations, as you think about your neighbor, as you think about your grandkids, whatever the case may be, whatever questions we have going on in life, man, what would it be like if we just stopped and asked this question, God, what will bring more glory to you? in my decision-making, in my relationships, with my finances, in every arena and area of my life, what will bring more glory to God? Because God's all about his glory being made known. And we may look at that and go, well, God, that's kind of selfish. God, I, I can't believe that you care about your glory so much. I mean, what about us? And this is one of those things I feel like we, don't, we can't fully grab hold of God's mind because we're human. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. What will bring more glory to God? Jesus living a sinless life and dying on a cross for our sins brought incredible glory to God. See, it's not so much that he, he just wants everything for himself. He wants you for himself. He wants relationship with you. He wants fellowship and connecting with you and with me. And so what if we just begin to ask this, God, what will bring you more glory in how I live my life? Are we going to get it right all the time? No. 
But, but what if this was our mindset? What would, th- what, would, what would happen in our lives if this was our attitude? God, what's going to bring you more glory? As I go to school today, as I interact with teachers and, and, and friends, and as I walk in the halls, and as I do extracurricular, whether it's playing some type of sport or cheerleading or music and drama, God, what will bring you more glory in my campus to you by how I act and how I, the attitude I have? God, what will bring you more glory in my job site? What will bring you more glory in my home, God, as I try to lead my family, as I try to love my kids and love my spouse? God, what, is, what does that look like? We begin to position our lives for the glory of God. And he does something in us and uses us in some incredible ways. And I just want to challenge you with that today. Would you close your eyes with me? Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you so much that that your word, the Bible, is filled with stories and principles and, and, and things that we can put our life on, that we can allow to guide our life and and to help us make decisions and make choices and plan for the future. God, thank you for that. God, you're all about your glory being made known because you love people. You want a relationship with people. You want people to know you. God, I, I pray that you would help us in the midst of our lives, in the midst of the busyness and the schedules and the, and the things we got to do and all that needs to get done and all the responsibilities that we have, God, could we just slow down enough in the moment during the day or during the week to say, God, I just, I'm just hitting a timeout button right now and saying, God, what would bring you more glory with how I live my life, the choices that I make with my time and with my family and with my friends and with commitments God, what would bring you more glory? What would point to you? What would bring you pleasure? What would make your name more famous than it already is? God, I want to be about that. God, use us in that way. God, forgive forgive us. Forgive us for when we've made everything in life about us and what we can get and what we can grab hold of and and what we can attain. And God, would everything in our lives point to you as the foundation of all that we do, of all that we say, of how we live. God, we love you and we give you praise today. We thank you for it. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we pray and agree together and say amen. Amen. Hey, I want to just give you two things really quickly, and then I'm going to invite Kevin Taylor up here. He's going to pray. He's one of our elders. He's going to pray and dismiss us after that prayer. But let me just let you know about two things. We don't normally do it this way, but, but I wanted to just highlight these two things today. Um, you heard mentioned earlier in the service about uh, August the 27th, which is our, our beach picnic. We did it last year at the Long Beach Pavilion. Had a great time. Right now, as I, as I walk outside and it's 99 degrees, the last thing I want to do is have a beach picnic. Can I be honest? But uh, we're praying by the end of this month and later in the day it will be a lot of fun and uh, the weather will cooperate. Plan to be there if you can. We'll give you even more details next week. Two other things I just wanted to highlight for you um, that are on the calendar. I know it feels like it's a long time away, but it's August. It's going to be September just like that. Before we know it, it's going to be October and there are going to be leaves 
changing colors. That doesn't happen here. Anyway, there's going to be leaves falling off the trees eventually, and it's going to be the holiday season. It's, the rest of this year is going to fly by. Two things, on, on, and I, wanna, I want you just to kind of put these on your calendar and be a part of them if you can. Um, Friday, September the 22nd, we're going to have here in, our, in this facility a night of worship. Um, it's going to be a time of coming together. We're just going to worship and sing and praise. And there's going to be involvement from people you see up here on a, on a weekly basis, as well as some of our middle school and high school students and, and many others. It's going to be a great night of just lifting up the Lord and praising him. We're going to be together doing that that evening. That's Friday, the 22nd of September. And then, ladies, I want to put something on your calendar. The following week, Thursday, September the 28th, there's going to be a ladies' event. Uh, and we'll give you details as we get a little closer, but it's coming up. And listen, can I just, school started and activities have started, and I know how packed schedules are. They're just busy. But, uh, but if you have availability, put these things on your calendar and be a part of it. They will be a blessing to you. Uh, would you welcome Kevin Taylor as he comes and dismisses us in prayer today? And let me, let me just say this. Um, and this is for Kevin and Jeff and Tom and Chris and Andre and Stephen. Um, I, I'm blessed to work with these elders here at Hope Church. I'm so thankful for each of them. Um, they each have a unique perspective and a viewpoint that I think strengthens us as a whole. And uh, they're men that love Jesus and they love this church. And it's a, it's a privilege to serve with them. And I'm grateful for each of them. And now I'm giving the microphone to Kevin. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Pastor. And uh, it is a pleasure to serve with all the gentlemen that Pastor just mentioned. Uh, and even as I look around this building and uh, want you to know that we do continue to uh, look for something else, another place maybe, but uh, I don't know if that's in the near or distant future, but it is something we do think about as well as everything else that we think about for, the, for this congregation, for this church. And let me say it's been a privilege to worship here today, the singing, Mickey, and the, and the worship team and pastor's message. I just appreciate it. I felt God's presence in my heart today. And, and I was challenged by the message as well. So this is our prayer as we dismiss. Dear God, we just thank you. We thank you for this congregation. One of our tenets is that we are better together, and we just praise you that we are able to worship here together. And as we leave this place, dear God, we do want to reflect your glory. So we ask that we feel your presence this week. Be with this congregation, each individual here, as they go out, that in whatever they're doing, dear God, they reflect your glory. Bring us back here safely next week. And please just bless all these people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.